you something you already know. The world ain't all sunshine and rainbows. It's a very mean and nasty place, and I don't care how tough you are, it will beat you to your knees and keep you there permanently if you let it. You, me, or nobody is gonna hit as hard as life. But it ain't about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. How much you can take and keep moving forward. That's how winning is done. Welcome to Buff Stampede Radio. Your hosts Adam Munster, Tiger Ryan Konigsberg, and fan correspondent Tyler Ziskin. Gentlemen, step up to the mic and drop some CU knowledge. Alright, welcome into Buff Stampede Radio, the mailbag edition. Uh, Buff Stampede Radio is brought to you by Velocity Real Estate and Investments. If you're looking to buy or sell a home, give CU alum Chris Schuler a chance to win your business. He's He's a diehard buff. He serves Denver, Boulder, Summit Counties, and Northern Colorado. Go to VelocityREI.com. Well, guys, mailbag edition. I'm joined here by Adam Munster-Tiger, the publisher of BuffSampede.com. And, of course, our fan correspondent, Tyler Ziskin. We're back in the live from Vegas. So, uh, <laughs> guys, how are you doing? Doing well. Doing well. It's, it's kind of sad, though. This Usually you have spring ball going until middle of April, and there's a shorter window between... Mm. The end of that in fall camp this year, it's like four and a half months. It's like, goodness, especially for me from a content standpoint, it's like, how am I going to keep generating content until camp starts? But that's part of why we did this show. I think it's, it's kind of a good uh, change of pace here. And it seems something always comes up, whether it's good or bad. I feel like, it, you know, something always comes in there. Uh, Alex Kelly takes 23 shots or whatever. Or, sorry. Alex, Alex Lewis. Lewis. <laughs> Alex Kelly. Sorry about that. I don't know about how many shots you can take. <laughs> yeah, it's just, I, I guess I should have waited for that recruiting class analysis for the loophole time of the year. Huh? We just have things that we need to find. Luckily, I have a bunch of weddings this spring, mm. so I'm going to be filling up my time nicely. Otherwise, I'd be a complete mess. You're going to be taking 23 shots at the wedding bars. <laughs> oh, God, I can't do that. <laughs> All right, well, let's jump right in. Um, we, we took a bunch of questions, and we got great participation here. Uh, that's the reason we had to make this its own show. So uh, excited to you know answer just about everything that we got uh, come in. So that should be exciting. Starting with a, a question from O'Neill CD. Uh, who do you think will be the first football commit this season? That's a tough one because it seems like some years there's that guy you know is going to commit. It's just a matter of when. Isaac Miller a couple of years ago was the first commit, and you kind of knew it was coming. Last year he wasn't the first commit, but you knew Dylan Middlemiss was going to commit for a while. This year there's not that one guy. There really isn't. Uh, and uh, if I have to throw, and I will throw out a name since we're going to try to answer all these questions as much as we can, uh, I'm going to say cornerback Miles Bryant. He's a top 100 recruit out of California from Loyola High School in LA. I've talked to him a few times. Uh, right now, CU is his favorite. He plans to visit Boulder in June. Right now, he's saying he's not planning to commit on that trip. So again, if you're making odds on the first commit, uh, Miles Bryant maybe is a, is eight to one. You know, it's it's not a guarantee he's going to be the first commit. An interesting guy to watch is tight end Isaiah Panunzio from Pueblo South. Uh, he committed to CSU early in the process and then kind of backed off when Jim McElwain left. He has since received an offer from CU. Maybe he could be a guy just randomly on a Tuesday afternoon. You see a CU in 16, and then that could be the guy. Who knows? 
Yeah, I mean, to me, there I haven't really noticed anybody with comments and articles recently of late that have, I would expect to commit right away either. I mean, I think another guy from Colorado, Matt Lynch, he's he had some interest, but he's saying that he's going to take a whole bunch of visits. So I don't think and he that's doesn't even gonna, have an offer reference yeah, to you right, right now. Yeah, so. so we'll see how that happens. But it seemed like the guy who had some interest, at least, if he was going to get an offer, and I think. Uh, maybe Ashton Torres was the same way, a guy who would have a lot of CU interest if he was to get Yeah, if Ashton offered. Torres got offered, yeah. he would he would yeah, commit. But I don't think that seeing that happening anytime soon either. So I I mean I'm sure there will be one somewhere <laughs> along the way, but I can't see one clearly now. And honestly, if you're a Colorado fan, you don't want them to get a lot of early commits, especially yeah. with a small class. They've got nine scholarship seniors now. They're going to sign more than nine, uh, even though they've kind of fixed the attrition issue. There will, at some point in the, before signing day for class of 2016, be some attrition. They'll sign probably close to around 15. But, uh, you know, and this may be a criticism I've had the last couple years, I think they've filled up maybe too soon. Mm-hmm. I think you want to have some spots when you're in Colorado's position, when you don't have blue chippers knocking down your door, to take advantage of these coaching changes that happen late yep. in the process. There's guys that come available that you didn't think you were going to have a chance at. Yeah, that actually uh, translates pretty well into the next question from O'Neill CD. And he wants to know if you've seen a big uh, change in, this, in their strategy recruiting this season with only nine spots. Uh, if so, what, what's the change? I don't think you've seen a, a big change so far, and that's because even in the past, they only at this stage before the spring evaluation period, you've only offered the no-brainers, the kids that are a no-brainer, and so they've done that again this year. I think where you're going to see it change more is in the spring evaluation period. Instead of in the past when you had a lot of scholarships, maybe going, okay, we're ready to offer. Now it's going to be, we'll we'll come out to Boulder this summer, camp, take a visit, and we'll see. And then in the summer, you're going to see kids that come out to camp that maybe they would offer before. Or they'll go, okay, well, we're going to wait to evaluate your senior season now. They're going to want that extra level of evaluation, I think, now. And you're going to start to see that more as the process goes on versus what you've seen up to this point. Yeah, that's what I've seen a little bit, too. Just that they seem to be taking their time a little bit more than they have so in the past. And I think you could tell kind of, and he wasn't directly saying it in interviews, but around the signing deadline, he wished that he had more spots available to get some of these guys in. And I think he learned from that a little bit. And we'll... You know, take take a few, maybe a little more months to drag some things out before he's really sure he wants to take a guy, get some evaluation on his senior film because you know these kids are young. There's a big difference between junior and senior year for a lot of these kids, so we'll, he'll get that extra step. So we got a lot of football and a lot of basketball questions in this mailbag. Uh, this is a hoops question coming in from Chai Buff. He wants to know what are the responsibilities of Tadboy's assistants, and in particular, who works with the big men and who is responsible for game planning. Well, Mike Rohn works with the big man in practice, Jean Prilo with the guards. I, we were talking about this before. I, I guess we're assuming Billups, Rodney Billups, probably with the wings. I, but when he works with guys, it's in the upper gym, so usually you don't see that if you're covering a practice. Yeah, he does a lot of individual work with guys, you know, in terms of what um, needs to be, you know, the big improvement in their game, whether we talked about in our last show, you know, Dom Collier shooting floaters. That's a, something where, you know, Rodney Billups can come in and, and help him with a, with a specific skill instead of just being big man or you know guard he'll work on a guy and usually it's with wings and or guards um with you know a specific skill set that they feel they need to work on yeah and then scouting upcoming opponents they split that across the staff and that's obviously the smart way to do it so that uh you know one guy has more time to evaluate an upcoming opponent and then, I mean, at the end of it, in terms of game planning, that's Tad Boyle kind of taking the scouting report and, and basically implementing that on the practice floor. 
and that that is a big thing for them, you know. Um, I think there's another question in here about practices and, and that sort of thing, but game planning, that's something that they work pretty hard on in terms of um, what they want to do or how they have to run their offense against a certain opponent. <clears throat> oh, I'm sticking with hoops and chai buff here. Uh, he says, assuming season tickets don't sell out in basketball next year, how does that affect the program's budget? Do you foresee CU investing more into basketball if there's another poor season, or will the money become even tighter for the AD? I don't want to just completely dismiss this question, but the thing is, even if CU basketball goes on and has a great season next year, the revenue it creates, yeah, it's nice, but it's not game-changing. It's about football, and if football wins, and if football wins and you create the revenue there, that's that's what's the major concern. Yeah, I would just add, just based on the optimism we talked about in our last show for football, no matter what happens with the basketball season tickets this year, I would I would assume the revenue generated from football will exceed that loss if there is if there is even one. So I don't think that I feel like the department is too concerned about it right now, and. People love Boyle. I mean, I think people started to slow down as the season went on, but I'd be surprised if that many people drop season tickets for next year. Yeah, um, Stank, my answer to that would be a little bit of, Tad, in terms of investing in basketball, Tad Boyle is, they're going to keep Tad Boyle happy. He's going to get what he wants. If there's, you know, some attrition in terms of the coaching staff and Tad wants to bring in an assistant that, you know, has a, a little higher price tag than what they were paying these two, I think Rick George will give him the green light in that sense instead of saying, you know, no, you're on a strict budget, you got this much, do what you can with it. I think, you know, playing in the CBI, Rick George was pretty clear that was Tad Boyle's idea and he was backing him. So I think that gives you a sense that Tad Boyle uh, still holds clout in that athletic department. If, if he wants some money, he needs some money, he's going to get it. Mm. Uh, moving along, another um, back to football here in Adam, I think you need to pr produce a pronunciation guide for uh, users here. I, I don't, I'm going to go with C. C. Badeau. Is that how you pronounce that, that? That's a pretty good guess. All right. Well, maybe you can help us out on the board. <laughs> um, <clears throat> more likely to still be a CU head coach. Oh, I guess this is both football and basketball. More likely to still be a CU coach in 2020. Mike McIntyre or Tad Boyle and why? And then I'll, I'll get to his second question after we answer that. I'm going to go Tad Boyle. He grew up in Greeley. He's turned down jobs to leave Boulder before. Aside from this last season, the program has had a lot of success under Tad Boyle. Uh, Mike McIntyre is from the South. And, uh, you know, obviously we've just seen with football, there's been a lot of turnovers with the coaches there. So I'd, I'd lean on with Tad Boyle on this. Yeah, you would have to say the same for me. I think Tad loves being here. Not to say that McIntyre doesn't. But if he turns around this program and we end up going to bowl games every single year, there will be bigger names calling, and Mac just doesn't have the ties to Colorado that Boyle does to me. So while I hope we have both in 2020, that would be ideal. I think more likely Coach McIntyre would be gone in 2020. Yeah, obviously this is an educated guess, and we got to go with the evidence that we have, and that's Tad Boyle saying this is his dream job, turning down other offers. Um, you you have to assume that he would be the most likely. Um, coming from the same person, he wants to know which program will sign CU's next five-star recruit. I'm going to go football. CU basketball has hosted one five-star mm -hmm. on an official visit. Tyler Dorsey is since David Harrison, which more than a decade ago. The football team has at least signed two five-star guys in Daryl Scott and Ryan Miller. Um 
And I also think that football recruiting is a little less shady than basketball recruiting, and you got to play a dirty game to get a five-star basketball recruit. So that's why I'm going football. Yeah, I would agree. Um, I would say that the likelihood is not high for either of them to happen anytime soon. Um, but yeah, I will, will say will that happen by 2020 when we're talking? Yeah, well, but I will say <laughs> that Colorado, as a state, has a better chance to produce a five-star football player than they do a five-star basketball player. And Kentucky and a few other programs are really going to take all the five-star guys in basketball. There's a lot of that in football, too, but a lot of it is regional. And to me, there's more likely to be a guy within region that yeah. um, has some CU ties or is at least close to the program in football than there is in basketball. We're not going to have a five-star kid in basketball. Adam, do you know the numbers of how many five-star averages there are in the football and basketball rankings? I think it's pretty it's comparable. Just, yeah. It's like 25 mm-hmm. to 30 yeah. kind of given year. For both, yeah. Okay. That's, yeah, so that's, that's, not, that's not in effect. But, yeah, I would have to go with football, too. And I was kind of thinking along the same lines of Tyler. I think there's a better chance of a football guy um, who is born in Colorado and loves Colorado and, you know, wants to stay here. Jake Moretti, maybe? Maybe, yeah. There, there's a five-star. I think he's got a chance to. He's without question the high four-star. All right. So maybe that's the... Uh, well, there you go. But now everybody's going to hold me to that. <laughs> Hey, whatever. It's a prediction. <laughs> All right, moving along. A uh, question comes in from uh, at Bromar04 on Twitter. Uh, do you think Christian Shaver will redshirt to get his year back as he moves to linebacker? Uh, do you think we have the depth to do so? Yeah, and, and L- LJ Buss asked the same question. So this was a, a popular topic on our mailbag uh, here. Uh, I would still say at this point it's more likely that Christian Shaver is going to play than he will redshirt. Um, he did move from that hybrid role, as, he's got, as the question alluded to, to an inside linebacker role. I just, I still don't see a ton of depth there. When you consider in this new three-four base defense, you're going to have two lineback- inside linebackers on the field. So you have Addison Gillum, who has health concerns. You have Kenneth Olobode, who has a slight frame, who could get very easily get beat up during a football season. Deshaun Rippey, who is coming off a pretty good spring, but again, isn't a proven guy. Ryan Severson hasn't proven a whole lot. He's been more of a depth guy. Travis Talianka, same thing. He's more of a special teams guy. So you don't have a ton of depth there. Christian Shaver, I think when he learns the, the inside linebacker position, is a guy that's going to have to be part of that rotation. And I think he's guy, a guy that's got a skill set to help them on special teams. Now, if Grant Watanabe's foot gets healthy and he comes into camp and, and proves he can play right away, <coughs> maybe that changes. Rick Gamboa, we haven't seen a ton out of him in practice. If, if somehow he shows that he's ready... I just I don't think there's enough depth here that you're going to want to redshirt Christian Shaver. Yeah, there's not a lot of depth for sure. I mean, I think he's an interesting name because that it's someone the staff obviously likes. They played him a lot last year, and if they think he's not quite ready to transition and goes, you know, and he's fallen into third or fourth on the depth chart of his position, maybe that's that's something that could happen. But I wouldn't say it's likely at this point. I put it at like 25 percent chance. Okay. Next one comes in from SWFL sports fan, just general sports fan from southwestern Florida. <laughs> uh, he wants to know, how is it that Oregon is on the, on the schedule every year since joining the Pac-12? Only North school that you can say that about, he thinks. That is a good question, and it's a question I didn't know how to answer, so I actually reached out to David Platty, and I'm going to pull up the email here, and I'm going to tell you exactly what he said in... There's got to be somebody else, because <clears throat> it's on a two-team rotation, right? Okay, so Dave said it's all going to level out at some point. Uh, he said they haven't seen the, the North Division opponents beyond 2018. 
But by then, CU will have played Oregon, Oregon State, Washington, and Washington State six times, and Cal and Stanford four times. Dave said it should work out to playing all of those teams eight times in a 12-year window. So it's over time it's, it's going to benefit you. And he sent me the, the upcoming um, uh, conference schedules. If you look far ahead to 2018, this is the most favorable conference schedule. They're going to have Arizona State, Oregon State, UCLA, and Washington State at home, and Arizona, USC, and Washington on the road. So that year they're not going to have to play either Oregon or Stanford. So, again, kind of – Back to Dave's point is it's a 12-year window, and over that 12-year window, it will even out. But it does. It looks strange because if you look at it, this is going to be the fifth year they're in the Pac-12, and they, they're going to play Oregon you know, every year within that window. So there's going to be some years coming up here where they're not going to play the Ducks. My question is when CU came into the Pac-12 and they were making these schedules, did the Pac-12 want to give Oregon the uh, the most likely national champion? Did they want to throw Oregon uh, CU every year so they can have a, a bit of a layup on the schedule? No, I mean, because yeah. Stanford has been, aside from this last year, was playing on the same level as Oregon. and We've missed them a couple of times. Yeah. Yes. So. It's just a rotation, and it goes by two teams, right? We play nine conference games every year, so you have all five in your division and then four of the other six, and you rotate through. And it's on a two-year window, so we've played four years that we've had the other opponents just haven't gone through. So Oregon should, you would think, come off the schedule here pretty soon. Yeah, they don't. They don't play. They actually play Oregon again in 2016, but then they don't play them in 2017. They don't play them in 2018, and then again, going through this 12-year window, there will yeah. be other years that there, they don't. There will be two more years. Yeah. if they don't play them. Yep. Right. So, and maybe that's a positive because maybe Colorado gets to a point where because let's face it, they weren't going to beat Oregon these last no. few years anyway. So maybe you get to a point where you're competitive, and then you don't have them on the schedule, so that could end up being a good thing for this program. Well, yeah, and you were talking about 2018. Who knows where the college football power lies? Between now and then, Oregon should still State be pretty good. Could be the power of the Pac-12. I'm going to say probably not. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, this one comes in from More DM21, and it, we're going to have to talk about this question a little bit um, and decide how we want to answer it. He says thoughts on the three basketball commitments. Well, depending on how you look at it, there's either two basketball commitments or four basketball commitments. Um, I feel like a lot of people are confused about this, so we'll, we'll just clear it up. Coming in this year, you have the two Europeans. That's Thomas Akizili and Keenan Guzanjic. So, you know, those are the two guys coming in this year. The two guys that are committed for the next season, Dalion Brown and Cameron Satterwhite. Um, so, you know, we can. do you guys want to talk about all four? We can talk about just this. Well, I think we'll as well. I'll let talk Tyler lead off here. Yeah, I mean, so, well, I guess we'll start with the guys. I mean, other throw now, he could be talking about maybe Josh Fortune coming in as the third guy next year. I don't or know. George King. Yeah, okay, whatever. Either way, there's a lot of possibilities. But we'll go with the recruits. How about that? So, Thomas Akizili is a, you know, he's a point guard that I think is going to be, he's not a guy who's going to score a bunch of points. Um, he's by no means a plus athlete. Um, I think that's the biggest concern with him coming in is, is he going to be able to get around guys at this level to create um, kind of a similar issue you see with Dom Collier, but I would say even more pronounced. Um, he is big though. So I think he's going to be able to bully guys on the defensive end. He's definitely, you can see in his workout videos, like he's really dedicated to having all the fundamentals down, which is something you love to see out of your point guard. Um, on his film, he's really smart. Makes a, lot of the, makes a lot of the right plays. And I think kind of we talked about earlier in our last show what Dom needs to do to get better. I think Thomas Akizili has some of those traits already. He knows what he is as an athlete, and he finds ways to be able to finish um, around the rim. I don't think he's a guy that's going to start right away or maybe even ever, uh, ever, but I think he's a guy that's good for your team. Um, he's a smart basketball player, and that's always somebody you want to have um, on the bench. Um, 
Kizan Guzinich is a guy that people have compared to Marcus Relford a little bit, which I find to be interesting. Um, he's a guy that's capable of shooting from the outside, um, but to me, Marcus was a much better athlete. And, oh, without question. And was more of a point forward, um, a guy that could create from the top of the key. I don't see that from Keenan so much. Um, he's definitely going to improve the overall shooting of the team. He's the first big we've had in a while that's can stretch out um, probably since default, would you say? Yeah. That's probably fair. Um, so he's going to have more of that type of role to me, a guy that um, will probably be asked to guard inside a little bit. I don't think it's going to be his strong point. Um, it's always a little bit of a transition coming from overseas, so he's kind of a to be determined for me. Uh, why don't you go through those two, and then we'll go back to the 26. Okay. Guys. Yeah, with Thomas Akizili, I like his size, and kind of to your point, I, I think he's going to be a good floor general. Um, not a great shooter, which is, uh, you know, I know a lot of Colorado fans wanted, uh, if they were going to get a guard this cycle, a guy that could knock down a shot, I don't know if Thomas Akizili falls into that category. I don't think he does. Um, not super athletic, but... Uh, it's encouraging that Utah was after him, you know, with St. some John's of the, too. St. John's Both after him, Creighton was after yeah. him. So yeah. that, that's encouraging. Yeah. Um, you know, with any guy, with any guys coming over from Europe that haven't played in the States, there's that question of whether his <coughs> game translates and that, so that, that's something mm-hmm. we're not going to know. With Keenan Guzanchik, uh, definitely like his skill set, he, he's more of a mystery type of guy, uh, like his shooting ability as a face of four. Concerning the fact that in his one year at the junior college level, he averaged Eight and a half and five and a half rebounds, obviously not stats that jump off the page. Um, sometimes you don't know the circumstances that were surrounding that. I know he finished that season, his freshman season, pretty strong, but still some current concerns about that stat line and just his lack of athleticism and whether he's going to be able to defend at the Pac-12 level. He played with, I, I spaced on the name, so sorry, this isn't going to be very helpful, but he played with one of the best Juco players in the country um, who was also a forward, so I think he didn't have his quite as many touches as maybe he would have gotten elsewhere. I mean, I, I don't mind that as a freshman, especially coming from overseas, or you know, I guess he was in New Mexico. He was in El Paso. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so it would have been nice to see what he would have done this year healthy, but I don't, I'm not too scared of the freshman stat line, especially with who he was playing with there. You talked a little bit about Akizili as a shooter, and while, yeah, the, the percentages don't necessarily say he's going to be a knockdown guy, I will say that his mechanics shooting are pretty solid uh his release isn't exactly quick but it's compact and you know he is able to at least look like he's going to make a shot it's not like a not to hate on a guy it's not like a jerome hopkins case where you look at his shot and you just know he's never going to be a good shooter yeah i mean so sorry go ahead so i think you know down the road there's definitely a possibility that thomas akizili can become a good shooter yeah, to me, he's a guy that you see on film that he's not going to take a lot of contested threes. But to me, he's a guy who's if he's open in the corner, I, w- I want him to take the shot. So it's not like he's a guy that's just not, if he's on the perimeter, he's not even a threat. I think he could be above a 30% guy who takes quality open looks. So he's not going to be a great shooter by any means, but someone that you can trust to take an open shot in my eyes. Do you guys want to move on to the 2016 guys? You want me to go through it first? Sure, Tom. All right, so um, Cameron Satterwhite is a guy that I really like. Uh, fantastic wingspan. Uh, that's just something that I've always liked as, as a player. Gives you a lot of versatility. Very difficult to guard. Very difficult to score against because you're not expecting that extra length when you see a guy. I mean, he's going to be able to block shots from farther out than people are expecting. He's going to be able to bother you on the drive. Um, if you're not careful with the ball, he's going to be able to poke it out really easy. Those type of things are what makes you a really solid defender, someone that is long enough that they're, they're going to bother you in positions where you think you have them beat. That's what's something you want, on, especially on the perimeter. 
Um, he's a guy that people, once again, because he's from Arizona, he's people he's been compared to Jaron Hopkins. He's not as good of an athlete as Jaron Hopkins in my eyes. He's a good athlete, but it's part also length mm-hmm. that gets him up above the rim as well. Um, but I think he, he has a much better release. Um, he's not a great shooter now, but I like his um, his mechanics on his shot. I think he's a guy that could be a very solid shooter. Um, he, his mid-range game is interesting to me. He's he's not super fast or quick, but he does a good job of getting into the paint and finding ways to create space. Um, so he's a guy to me that has improved a lot over the last year, and I see him improving a lot more. I think he could be one of the best players in Arizona next year, and some, I would I could see him getting some interest to move into the 150 for his senior year. Um, DeLeon Brown is a guy that I don't know much about, to be honest. He's from Michigan, um, seems to be of the four the best shooter. Uh, he's also the smallest, um, especially for his position. I think he's only 6'2 or 6'3 as a shooting guard. Um, so that's a little bit interesting there. Um, he had a big year, too. I, I don't think they won the state title, but he I think he, he had a pretty big year scoring-wise. So if you have They won a couple here. playoff games, and he had a buzzer beater in, in one of them uh, to win. Uh, yeah, with, with Cameron Satterwhite, obviously the first thing is his wingspan, his length, and, and his upside. He's got a lot mm-hmm. of upside. Maybe, though, they maybe offered a little bit too early. Obviously, Colorado, the first power conference school to offer him. Maybe you wait till AAU season to kind of see how it, it translates. Maybe. Uh, or maybe you, you do that and then you miss out and some other schools beat you to the punch. I don't know. That, that, that's a concern, though. Um, yeah, it, it, it's Cameron Satterwhite strikes me as this boomer bust guy. He's either mm-hmm. going to just reach that upside and be one of the, the guys you go, see, the, he should have been higher rated and, and all that stuff, or just could completely be a bust if he doesn't live up to that. Um, DeLeon Brown, it's kind of a tweener. They're, they're trying to they tried to make him be more of a, a one in high school this last season. Doesn't Not exactly a polished ball handler, but he's got a good mid-range game. <clears throat> he's willing to go to a prep school. He's embracing that, the fact that he needs to – mature and develop his game if you had to force a guy to go to the prep school I w- that would be a concern but in this sense it's it's a positive uh, again he's got some upside too and, and he's got length as well yeah i i uh, of the two i think i'm higher on saturday like tyler um he you know you said he's not as athletic as jerome hopkins but when you put you know that big of a body and you see the way that he can just fly through the air Athleticism is absolutely not a concern. I'll just say that he he's extremely athletic. I think uh, last week or the week before, a, a video came out of him dunking from the free throw line. So the dude can fly on top of being extremely long. When you have a seven six wingspan, how high do you even <laughs> yeah. have to jump? Though <laughs> <laughs> you might just be able to Michael Jordan it. Yeah, that's, court, that's Space Jam. He reminds me a little bit of Xavier Johnson, who's a guy who everyone claims to be as a huge athlete, and he's obviously an athletic player, but he's really long. So he he doesn't get off the floor as much as his wingspan aids in getting above the box. He's he kind of has that similar feel to me. Yeah, I like both of those players though, and I think it's one of those things where they're going to have four spots in that class, I believe. Um, assuming things go uh, the way they are right now, it might be three, but um, I think it's one of those things where Tad Boyle felt like he had a little bit of room in that class to go out and get a guy that he's high on early even though he might not have all those offers, he says, well, you know, I can go get this guy now and I'm not using up, um, you know, half of my class. So um, with with that situation, and I think he really liked the option of sending DeLeon Brown to prep school, especially a prep school that they know and respect the coaching staff there. And New Hampton Prep. New Hampton Prep, yeah, exactly. That's where Tory Miller came from, Josh Repine. 
Bo Gamble. They have a relationship there. So I think Tad will be able to be in contact with that coach, with, with the development there. It's almost like gray shirting a player in football, and so that's um, a valuable thing for them. Uh, moving along, another question um, in the basketball recruiting front. Uh, Jack Barsh wants to know, are we still pursuing Tyson Jolly? If so, what are the chances he's coming to see you? Yeah, don't hold your breath there. It sounds like Tyson Jolly is... Most likely going to sign with Cal or Gonzaga. He's going to take visits there in early April and then likely decide. I know UTEP, there's some some other schools <coughs> pursuing him. But, yeah, I would think that uh, Thomas Akiazili and Keenan Guzanjic, probably, they're, they're set at 2015. If a guy does move out of the program, I think they'd probably more look towards the transfer market or banking that scholarship. Yeah, I mean, I, we haven't heard much on Jolly lately, which is never a great sign. Um, with the transfer market being, once again, extremely deep, um, I would think that if they find themselves with an available scholarship, they will probably try to find a guy who's proven at the college level. Yeah, and I think while a lot of people really like Tyson Jolly, I think you'd probably be more happy seeing them, if that opens up, seeing them use that on a transfer. Well, depending on who the transfer is, because Tyson Jolly is a guy that his stock has risen quite a bit. He's going to be a Rivals 150 guy here in the next update, according to Eric Bossy, so... I can see some disappointment in the fact that uh, it looked like for a moment there they were going to get a visit from him, and now they're not. <laughs> uh, staying, staying in basketball, B to the Uffs, or to the UFFS, <laughs> wants to know. Sounds like Tad Boyle is definitely going to make some changes in the offseason. He's already talked about players' commitment, um, staying in Boulder over the summer, that sort of thing. Um, he wants to know what other changes do you see, whether it's you know uh, recruiting areas, staff, scheme, philosophy, um, do you guys think Tad Boyle is going to change things up a little bit after this season? Well, he said he had gotten soft as a coach, and he's going to. They need to have more of an edge as a program. It's hard to know exactly what that means, though. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. We heard a lot last year about him making a lot of scheme changes, and I didn't see much of that on the court this year. So, who really knows? I, I think he needs to make some changes. Whether or not he, he does is another is another step in the process. Um, I mean, they just there something has to change because it went downhill in a hurry, and they got to get these guys ready to play. So I know I saw a lot of national media guys talking about how you can't force kids to stay on campus in the summer, which is sort of true. But at the same time, every single major program in the country, all those kids are there in the summer. So I think he's trying to get in that same mindset. And he asked, "What are the the things thrown in there? Is philosophy question mark? No, Tad Boyle." Yeah. Is about defense and rebounding, yeah, and <laughs> even like you, there's there's certain things like uh, fouling when you're up by three late in the game. And Ted Boyle just says, "No, I just don't believe it. I simply don't believe it." He's got certain Running philosophies. Zone, as a, not going to happen. Yeah, there's just certain things about Ted Boyle as a coach that aren't going to change. And so philosophy, I don't see any changes with this program. I, I see other things. And I don't know if people are going to like to hear this. I wouldn't be surprised if there was almost the opposite of changes. I think. The changes that they tried to do this year ended up hurting them. I wouldn't be surprised if they just go back to defense and rebounding is our thing and we are going to be the best at it. And if that works, I mean, it worked for them for a little while there. If It's just, you know, you got to have a guy who could score for you when you're not doing anything on offense. So that's what hurt them. Um, and that's why you saw Skip Booker kind of have a good season in that sense was because he was the only guy who could do that. But, I mean, I don't, I don't see Tad trying to – to do some new crazy offensive thing, it's just going to be. Uh, I think Giannis might just you know go back to uh, his laurels. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I don't see any issue with that, really. I mean, this is the worst defensive team he's had. Um, in, in my eyes, I mean, the statistics may not, might not show that in some areas, but just watching them play, I mean, it was just such an inconsistent effort between halves or games. You just never knew what you were going to get out of that defense. And to me, where they are lethal is in transition, and they don't get in transition unless they defend. So to me, that's the area on the side of the court that they really need to fix because they're never going to be an explosive half-court offense, I don't think, with Tad Boyle as the coach. But if they can't get out and transition and play good defense, they are going to score a lot of points in a given game. So I think I agree with you. I think they almost need to go back to what he knows, focus on that. Because those both of those things definitely slipped this year, and you could see it as an impact on the success of the team. Unless you're going to, you know, unless there is a staff turnover, and maybe you bring in some guy who's known as this half-court guru, up-and-comer, who, you know, really lo- that's the only way I see something happen happening like that, but... I just really doubt it. I, I think you're going to see a, a, a same, the same thing that you're used to seeing with Tad Boyle. And while it's frustrating at times, it, it's worked most of the time until this season. Um, moving along again, still on basketball, Buff for Life asks, and this is, a, I guess, a loaded question a little bit, what was really going on in the basketball locker room? A lot of towel snapping. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Guys were getting dressed. We were joking earlier about there being a lot of trust pyramids going on in the locker room as well. Well, I, I think, though, when Eskia Booker didn't show up on the bench yeah. for the Gardner-Webb game, that kind of gave you a little glimpse into the locker room in the sense, okay, this team didn't love each other because if they did, he would be on the bench. At least there was some divide within yeah. certain players. I don't think you're going to get specifics, A, because I don't know much of them, and I don't know that anybody really does. But you can, what you're thinking in your head when you ask this question, there is some truth to that, without a doubt. You know what I mean? It's just one of those yeah. things that you could see. that It just wasn't all there with this team. They didn't love each other. They didn't necessarily like being on the court with each other in times. And, you know, you, you can you can see when the chemistry isn't there. And there was definitely some of that this year. I'll just say it this way. Tad Boyle's first season, when you saw the basketball team out around Boulder, it was the whole team. You know, uh, Andre Robertson with Ben Mills. Whoever it was, they're all together. This year, I never saw more than two or three players together outside uh, outside of the course event center. So, you know, that that tells you enough, I think. I think there's dysfunctional locker rooms where there's a lot of screaming and guys getting in each other's faces. There's dysfunctional locker rooms where it's a lot of passive-aggressive behavior and not a lot being said. I would think that this team was more towards mm-hmm. the latter than the former. I think it was a lot of unsaid stuff that was happening, more so than guys getting in each other's faces. Yep. Moving along uh, for more DM21, do you expect more basketball attrition? This is tricky because until attrition happens as a reporter, you're kind of skating on uh, shaky ground. I think <coughs> you look at the roster and go, okay, who's most likely to leave you? Eli Stalzer would be a candidate in terms of his role hasn't really been there, and uh, you know he's not even able to practice all the time because of his music school. A lot of people were wondering about Xavier Johnson. I expect him to be back. Um, but it, it, uh, these attrition questions can be kind of tricky until you actually know for a fact that a guy's leaving. Yeah, I, I wasn't going to say any names at all. I'll just say, yeah, I, I think there might be some more. Yeah, I mean, from my perspective, should they be able to bring in a transfer on a visit that they like, you can expect somebody else to leave. All right. Um, still on the basketball thing here. Uh, any, choice, any chance Tad Boyle makes changes on the staff? That comes in from Jarek B. I will say, theoretically, I think Tad Boyle, and especially when he makes comments like, we've gotten softest coaches, 
I think he's going to take a very critical eye to every aspect of his program. I don't think Ted Boyle is the type of guy that's always loyal to everybody and is scared to make changes. And an example of that is offering Nate Tomlinson a job in the front office, a guy that they butted heads throughout his career. Uh, he's, he doesn't want yes-men around him, so he's not afraid to shake things up. Do I know whether or not they're going to make changes on this specific staff? I have no idea. Yeah, it's it's hard to know. Um, I'll say one thing. Uh, he's not here, but uh, Will Will would tell you he thinks that it needs to happen. So, you know, whether or not it, it does, um, that's to be seen. Um, I think these these guys would have an opportunity somewhere else if there was. So that's I don't think Tad has to worry about, you know, um, letting a guy go and him being out of a job. Okay, well, here comes a long one from Buff AZ. Um, we can break this up into a couple uh, different questions or whatever. Uh, he says, what are CU basketball practices like? Do they actually spend time working on inbounding the ball, breaking a press, offensive play sets? Do they practice basic drills? Uh, do they know how to dribble around screens, pick and roll, passing out of the post? I mean, they do it over and over again until they get it right. Uh, you know, so he's basically asking... What are they doing? What are they doing out there? Uh, Adam? <laughs> I'm not going to read the whole thing. Do they work on all these things? Yes. Um, it's tough for me to answer this question from a comparative standpoint because Jeff Buzdella closed, <coughs> had closed practices. Uh, Ricardo Patton didn't open practices. I will say the practices that Tad Boyle ran this last year weren't different than what, than what they ran in previous years when they had a lot of success. So it, it doesn't... Can you get frustrated with the lack of inbounds, efficiency inbounding the ball? Absolutely. It's a glaring weakness within this program. Do they practice things like that? Yes, they do. Uh, when it comes down to it, it's been an execution standpoint, a problem in terms of games. Um, could they change things in practice and make it better? I'm sure, I'm sure every program could streamline things a little bit better. Um, I've never gone to a practice, though, and gone, well, they should be doing X, Y, Z. I've never really had that feeling, uh, so it's it's hard to, it's hard to answer this question, you know, really critically. Uh, again, not having that experience of comparing them to, a, I've never been to a Duke practice. I don't understand how other practices run at other college programs that are successful. Yeah, I'll say, you know, um, he asked about a bunch of different things here. I'll say definitively, they work a lot on breaking the press. They work a lot on their offensive set, which isn't necessarily a play but it's the way they run their offense. Um, they practice basic drills a lot. Um, they practice passing out of the post a lot. When it comes to inbounding the ball, I just, I, I, I don't know what it is about Tab Boyle. I think that it might be, maybe he needs to be asked this question. I think you might say that it's part of his philosophy that you just don't spend that much time on it because they really just don't. They don't, uh, you don't see them spend, I've never seen them spend, you know, extended time in practice drawing up plays and, Working on getting the ball into a favorable position out of out of that. Out of you would assume other programs do it more because of their efficiency in the games, but again, that's just speculation. Right. Yeah. I mean, to me, honestly, a couple of things that he points out there, like our press break and passing out of the post, we improved on that this year. I thought in previous years, like I can't remember too many instances in games where we turned the ball over four or five times in a five-minute stretch on a press break. I mean, we turned the ball over in the half court set all the time. But I don't remember being too frustrated by our press bait. Um, Josh is still not a great passer out of the post, but he's certainly better. Um, so to me, I think those things were improved on. I will say this about the inbounds plays, though. It's like the perfect – if you wanted one play to – like this is our season, 
It's an inbounds play. It just shows that like no one's cutting hard enough. No, we can't pass the ball. So that play, just in general, just the struggle of an inbounds play is like, what is wrong with this team right now? Just any inbounds play you want. That's how I would look at an inbounds play right now. Okay, uh, I think we're moving to football here. It's not um, exactly pointed out, but I'm going to guess that's what CT Buff is asking. He says, every year a player comes out of relative obscurity to be an integral part of the part of the team, whether it's a true freshman or somebody already on campus, who is the most likely to be the who is that guy guy? Well, last year it was George Frazier, right? Mm-hmm. That's that's the guy who fits is kind of this description of this. I had a hard time looking at the roster and picking that guy out because George Frazier, let's be honest, was in obscurity before last season. The closest thing to this for me was if you're not a diehard <laughs> CU fan, these guys would fit that. And I went Samson Cafavano on the defensive line, who I think is going to be, as long as he keeps his head on straight, one of their best defensive linemen. And then Jimmy Gilbert, who we talked about on our other show earlier this week about this new defense really suiting his strengths. I think if, for the casual Colorado fan that doesn't know everything, he's going to go, wow, Jimmy Gilbert, where did he come from You know, this fall? Maybe on a smaller scale, Chris Hill at tight end. For the real diehards, he's not going to be on the field a ton, but I think they're going to go, oh, Chris Hill, oh, he's not a bad bad little guy there at tight end. Yeah, Chris Hill, like three catches, 21 yards or something in some game. I, yeah. I agree with that. Yeah. A true, true freshman, I'm going to say Nick Fisher. I really like his game as a cornerback. Yeah, it's one of those things that you don't, It's even as the fan correspondent, it's hard to really know like what people are keying on when they're looking for this stuff, right? I mean, you could probably say the two starting linemen, but... <clears throat> I would think that the most most fans aren't really watching the linemen throughout the game. They see on the post game while we break down the grades and this guy's good or this guy's not good. But and so they might not know much about Jared Coe or Shane Callahan or Jonathan Huckins and they're probably gonna start so those are names you think about, but they're just not in skill positions that you notice. So to me I was gonna say Jay McIntyre because he didn't play last year and I think he's he's gonna play this year in spurts for sure. Um yeah, I mean, besides that, it's going to be – Jimmy Gilbert would not be one for me because I loved him last year. So it just depends on who you like as a player, right? So to me, he's going to improve on what I already thought was a pretty good – I mean, he was he was improving last year, I thought. Um, but, yeah, I mean, there's pretty much anybody that has a new chance to start this year, there's the potential to answer that with that player. All right. Well, as you may have heard early in the week or at the top of this show – Buff Stampede is officially big time now. We have Buff Stampede Radio's official sponsor. Um, CU alum Chris Schuler of Velocity Real Estate Investments, he wants to make you a customer for life. If you're a seller, he'll employ a comprehensive marketing plan that will exceed your expectations. His clients typically have little free time, and obviously all of your guys' free time is spent on the Stampede Elite Board. So Chris will put in the work for you. Uh, whether the first... First home you step in feels like a home or dozens of showing over a long period of time are needed to find your perfect match. He'll always be right beside you. Allow him the opportunity to win your business. Go to VelocityREI.com. Moving along here, uh, JDub925 says, The past two years under Mike McIntyre, we've had a redshirt player who wasn't a freshman. Do you see this trend continuing and who might it possibly be? The the good news here is that there's not a, a ton of candidates here because... You look at the eligibility chart and the guys that are not freshmen, most of them have used their red shirt now. Now there's some guys like Josh Tupo, Justin Solis at Heaven, Christian Powell. Those guys are all uh, going to play a lot. Kenneth Crawley, another guy. There's no way, way any of those guys are red shirting. I would say maybe Blake Robbins, who came in as a junior college transfer on the defensive line, could be a candidate for that. He still has his red shirt. 
Uh, he was hurt throughout spring practices, and they they do have quite a bit of depth on the D line. So I could maybe see him redshirting uh, Eddie Lopez, depending on uh, Josh Tupo's availability for the season opener. Could be a guy that could potentially redshirt. But even there, you look at nose tackle between Tupo after Tupo and Justin Solis. You don't have a ton of depth there, um, and for that role, you need a three hundred pounder. And, and mm-hmm. so. Most of these other defensive linemen fall in, into those other positions on the D-line, so I would say most likely he won't, but he could potentially be a guy in the conversation. Then Christian Shaver, who we talked about earlier, may be in the conversation. But again, I don't know. I don't see that Yuri Wright or uh, who was it last year, Devin Ross. I don't see that guy necessarily when I look at the eligibility chart. Yeah, I, mean, I can't. There's not one guy that I would pick out right now and say there's a good chance he's redshirting. Um, you know, it's one of those, someone will probably get hurt and they'll have a redshirt available potentially and you would use it, but that's not, I don't think what he's asking in this particular case. So I think we've gotten to the point that the depth of this program is now good enough that we don't need to redshirt a guy if we don't think he's going to play a lot. You know, we, we have other guys who are capable of stepping up. Um, so I think they'll just start moving guys through the program that, you know, are fourth or fifth on the depth chart. You know, you don't have to keep those guys around anymore in four or five years because you need just an extra body. I think now we finally have enough players on this team that there's quality depth, and if you're not playing, you're not going to redshirt just to keep you here another year. And on the flip side, the positive thing is that you can redshirt the true freshmen right. coming in. Maybe one or two of those guys play, but by and large you're going to be able to, to redshirt <coughs> those guys. So, mm-hmm. so that's where this could... Uh, it kind of trends into an opposite direction now in terms of that being a, a positive. All right, moving along. Uh, more DM21. He had a lot of questions in here, um, including my favorite, which is coming up in a few. Uh, <laughs> he, he wants to know, two early p- predictions for the upcoming football year. Well, we threw this out before spring ball, and mine hasn't changed. I'm still going to say 6-7 and seven is a record. If you put a gun to my head right now, what, Adam, what do you really think is going to happen? 6-7 and seven is what I would say. Yeah, I think I said five and eight or four and nine. I forget which one I did. I'm kind of right going back and forth between those um, for me as well right now. And I honestly, I think that's fine. Um, I, I, the five and eight, you you would that to me that would be pretty successful. I mean, I guess it depends on how things play out, but to me, that's drastic improvement. You're gonna you will have beaten at least one or two solid teams to get to five and eight. To me, um, the schedule this year just. How it's set up, it makes it difficult for me to predict much higher than that. All the home games in conference are against teams who are likely to be preseason ranked, which makes it harder for me to say we're going to beat any of those teams. Um, and on the road, you know, we've been it's been a struggle over the years. So to me, that's market improvement um, that we can build on in the future. I don't I don't think too many people would be super disappointed with that. I mean, with four wins, they would be four. You think? Yeah, well, given their non-conference schedule, which they'll be favored in all four of those games, most likely. You think we'll be favored over CSU? I think so, yeah. Yeah, we'll see. All right, um, I guess if I'm going to put something out there, I'll go 6-7 and seven too. You know, everyone wants that bowl game, um, but seven wins, that's, that's a lot of wins. That's a lot of wins, and it's just, it's hard to put that down and say that you're going to predict that uh, knowing this program. But I think, you know, if they get to six wins, no one can complain. Um, unless it's the sort of thing where they had three chances to win more games and they blew them late or something. 
Um, that would just create more optimism for the next year, though. I would true, say. but I, then people are going to be really disappointed they didn't get that seventh yeah, win. You know? Oh yeah, it's yeah, going to be like yeah. the year that we <clears throat> lost to Nebraska on that ridiculous field goal at the last second to not make a bowl. That was that was brutal. Yeah, because that would have been I think maybe even back to back bowl seasons, right? I think we were talking in Vegas. You said that's top three most brutal moments oh, for yeah. you as a CU it, fan. As a CU fan, <laughs> yeah, it was tough, dude. But that yeah. was different because you went, like you said, you went to a bowl game the year before, so there were right. certain expectations. This year, it's not like that. Yeah, well, I guess it's just your, when you're so close. What was your number one? Oh, getting snubbed. Oh, getting snubbed was the worst one by far. And then Arizona was in the top three for sure. That Sabatino Chen play. That Sabatino cr- Chen was in Boulder this week. That crossed my soul. <laughs> Well, hopefully there's less soul-crushing yeah. for you in the future. Yeah. Um, all right. Um, still more DM here. He wants to know from Adam and I, who are the top three interviews on the team? And for Tyler, who's the, who are your top three fan favorites? Adam? I got a, a guy, newcomer on my list, number three, Afalabi Laguda. Really well-spoken kid. Uh, a kid from that's originally from the South. Just a great perspective. Uh, if you... Didn't watch the video interview I did with him this spring. Go back and search that through our headlines. It's good stuff. Number two, Philip Lindsay, who is, uh, as I always say, I feel better about life after I talk to Philip Lindsay for five minutes. Just, I've never seen somebody with so much energy and enthusiasm. He's a great kid. Number one, Stefan Nembot. Uh, not an overly boisterous guy, but just somebody that's very insightful and, and answers your questions honestly. And just with his history, I mean, the guy's a prince. From Africa, <laughs> you know, just a, an interesting kid, and he, and he wants to go back and serve his community when when he graduates. That's his whole sur- sole purpose is if he makes the NFL, all that money is going to go back to his community in Africa and Cameroon when he goes there. Just a really easy kid to root for, and and then you just put on top of that the fact that he had had to stay so patient to get good as an <coughs> offensive tackle here. He suffered through so many growing pains, but he stuck with it, kept working hard. And now it's finally starting to see the fruits of those labors come through. I enjoy talking to him a lot. I'm only going to give one here because my number one is so far above the rest that I don't even think there needs to be two or three. And he wasn't on your list. And that's Jared Bell. Um, this guy is just, he's, when I go to talk to him, he seems like as excited as my grandma when I go to see her. Like he just wants to talk to me. He wants to give me answers. And he he's, doesn't look like it's a burden that he's there. He seems, he just looks happy to see me. And that makes me happy to see him. <laughs> Good analogy. That's awesome. <laughs> um, so I'm not going to pretend that I, I'm not going to answer this question for the whole fan base. I'll just answer it for me. Um, I know who's number one. Yeah. To tell me. George yeah, Frazier. Of course. George Frazier. Lawrence Vickers is my favorite CU buff of all time. George Frazier, close, behind. Wow. And he's after, after four touchdowns. I don't care, man. He's awesome. <laughs> he, he just, to me, he's just football. Yeah. He just... He just all he wants to do is just murder someone on the field, and I love that. Score touchdowns. He's just awesome. He just, to me, those kind of guys are what I love about football. So George Fred, definitely number one. Nelson Spruce is my number two. He's probably the number one if you were to pull the entire fan base through their favorite players. There's nothing wrong with that. He's awesome. Um, he's one of the best receivers he's had in a long time. He's really fun to watch. And what you have to like about him is just how hard that he works. I mean, he does all the right things as a receiver. He runs good routes. He catches the ball. The stuff that you like to see, right? Uh, third for me is Philip Lindsay. Kind of similar approach. Just what you said, watching him play to me is just as exciting as, you know, talking to him on the field. He's a nice kid, but he's also, he just works so hard. He's, he's you know, he's a smaller guy, but he's not afraid of anything. Um, runs really hard. That's the stuff you love to see. Somebody who's out there on the field that just will give it their all for a team to win. So, to me, those are the three guys that I like watching the most right now. 
Alright, well this next question might earn Buff Stampede its second sponsor. Because <laughs> this one, I'm going to get excited this one. More DM wants to know, Ryan, who cuts your hair? Um, I go down to Lakewood to a place called Crisp, Bar Crisp Barbershop. And uh, I get my hair cut from Dane down there. This is, if I could afford it, I'd go there every week. It, it's my favorite place in the world. You walk in and, you know, they tell you hit the fridge, grab a beer. You got a beer, you got, you're surrounded by a bunch of dudes. We're all talking sports. Sports Center up on a couple flat screens up there. Comfy chairs. It's, it's my favorite place. It's my favorite place to go. I get really excited when I need a haircut. So if you ever need a place to go, um, get down there. Uh, I, get, I get my haircut from Dane. Joey's the owner. Louie's good, too. I know I sent Will down there a couple weeks ago, and he was stoked. So get, get out there. Get down to Christmas. At the very least, so. you should get a discount on your next haircut. <laughs> Yeah, I will say this. It's not just this show where he talks about Chris Barbershop. So he really does love that place. <laughs> All right, and uh, I think this one came from, from Adam himself. He, I think he just likes debating this topic. So he wants to, Adam wants us to talk about I thought it would be fun to throw an off-topic uh, question in there since we talked so much just strictly CU. So, yeah, that's, that's where this right. question comes well, from. Well, I'll let you lead it off. Best Burger in Boulder. Best Burger in Boulder. I'm going to go the Jiffy Burger at the Dark Horse. And people look at you strange when they've never had a, pe uh, a peanut butter burger, but it's got peanut butter and bacon. And it's pretty amazing. It's pretty amazing. It's, you know, a lot of burgers, you need to dress it up with a special sauce or a bunch of ketchup and mustard. But th their burger, the way it comes out, it it's it's a great. Have you ever tried that? It's the only answer. So this, is gonna, this, okay. debate, this debate is going to be short-lived. It's the only answer. The Dark Horse is awesome. I'm also a CU basketball guy in general, and you know that's where everybody goes. So I have a soft place in my heart for the Dark Horse. For but sure. a lot of people have gone to the Dark Horse and not gotten the Jiffy it's, Burger, oh, which yeah. blows my mind. I try not to eat it now that I'm trying to lose weight, to be honest. <laughs> but it is awesome. Um, I'll throw a special little small shout-out to the sink as well. It's good. Um, they got solid burgers. And yeah, and I don't, I can't stand up in it, so I can't give them too much credit because <laughs> I crush my head every time I stand up out of a chair. But beyond that, I, I just wanted to switch it up a little. So there you go. All right. Well, I've never had a Jiffy Burger, so I guess you guys are gonna discount my opinion here. But uh, I think the best burger in Boulder is Snarf Burger. Um, it's only been around for a little over a year now. Down where uh, Daddy Bruce's barbecue used to be in that in that little shack, they need to expand because they're they're getting popular enough where they you know, there's three parking spots in that parking lot. Um, but they do a burger of the month every month. It's like five twenty five if it's something that looks good to you. I think March's was um, the sweet hot burger. They've got like a bunch of hot peppers on there and some relish, and I really like it. I, it's right down the street from my house, so I walk over there, and that's my favorite burger in Boulder. I went there uh, after a spring football practice uh, based off your recommendation, Ryan, and I texted you right after. I said, it's in the conversation for Best Burger in Boulder. Uh, it, for me, it's all about their, their peppers, and that's what makes their, their subs, too, the Snarf uh, subs. So, no, I like it a lot. Again, it's not uh, if you're on a health tip, don't go to Snarf Burger because there's cheese, lots of cheese, and it's dripping. It's it's really good though. I will say this: if you're on a health kick, I don't want your opinion on the best hamburger. Okay. <laughs> also, I I had a cherry cricket down in Denver for the cherry first time. Good. The jalapeno. Did you get the one with the cream cheese and jalapeno? Yeah. That so is... I asked. Well, I looked at it, and obviously you have to build your own. There's not even an option on the menu of anything okay. that's built. So I just asked the waiter. I was like, "What do you get?" He's like, "Cream cheese, jalapenos, and bacon." Yes. yes. So that's what I got, okay. and it was pretty awesome. So 
I'm going to get in trouble for this, so hopefully Chris doesn't listen to this show. <laughs> but the best burger in Denver is Highland Tavern Burger. They have the best burger in Denver. Um, I like my right brother's. Next to, uh, right my next brother's to is good. Uncle. Highland Tavern Burger. My brother's has the same uh, theme with the, the jalapeno uh, and cream cheese burger. That's really good. Lark Burger in Boulder for a quick place is not is not a bad is not yeah. a bad option. It's, it's a solid. little bit ex- more expensive for what you get to save you a little bit. Best nachos yeah. in Denver, Blake Street Tavern. Hey, I don't even have to plug that one because we did just win Best of Denver Nachos again. Best so chili cheese fries as well. Thanks, <laughs> I appreciate that. And best best place to watch and play sports in Denver. Best go bar- Lake Street Tavern. Best Love bartender over six foot five. <laughs> that's probably a short list. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that's going to do it for our mailbag. Unless you guys have another fun topic we want to debate. I don't have a topic, but I will say this: I'm disappointed in the board that no one asked me and Ryan about Vegas. Yeah, that's all. Next mailbag question. Someone do it. All right. That's a, that is good. That's true. All right. Well, that's going to do it. Again, Buff Stampede Radio brought to you by Velocity Real Estate and Investments. Thanks for listening.